Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida, and this week's movie is Being John Malkovich. Because somebody um, had a great idea. I had a good idea. Well, the, the thinking was that we're doing this whole series on movies that are so bad, they're good. And they're just so bad, all of them. And so then for this slot, which is supposed to be the batshit one, I thought, let me just pick a good movie. Yeah, That's batshit. Fair. fair. And I'm, yeah, I've had a, I came home at 5.30 this morning. Cool. So I actually think that when I haven't slept, that the episodes are better. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> interesting i decided that (laughs) yeah yeah that's my controversial take (laughs) anyway haven't slept but also before we get into what's up in your science life did you check our emails my dear i did i saw it should we should we read an excerpt yeah go for it so well we got this email this is our first you know fan really reaching out yeah to us in three fucking years our first actual in three proper years email. <laughs> and this person said hey y'all <laughs> she's just dropping a note to say how much i appreciate your podcast i found it by way of alex james says instagram account that algorithm That's thought me. i might like science stuff about star trek clever so that was also good because it made me realize the algorithm you know it's 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 working yeah via you i'll cut you a few things i'd i'd been looking for more female voices and stories to hear love how your perspectives bring so much nuance to the movies most of all i like your friendship the cool way you disagree and are not afraid to firmly express the disagreement and how you both respect each other's opinions without trying to change each other's minds i never realized i was doing that how you celebrate each other and support each other. How you respect and support one another's feelings. And this one, this one, like, floored me. And are so protective of each other when you are disagreeing. So I, like, lovely. It makes me feel a little bit emotional. <laughs> it makes me, it made me emotional because I realized my, the podcast is my friendship with you. I can't yeah. distinguish them. Like, that's, that's when I realized that actually I don't distinguish the two, like, from one another. Yeah, it's, it like, is weird because uh. we rarely we rarely talk. Sometimes we do have like just, you know, off off camera chats and stuff, but most of our conversations are always when we're recording the podcast. Totally. And, I mean, I suppose like there's there's definitely an aspect of considering we're in two different continents. <laughs> we're we're quite restricted. <laughs> but uh but I love it. I I love how we met and then our friendship has grown through the podcast and we've learned about each other through it and it's discussing all of these topics that we see in these movies and our own different perspectives and the different types of movies that we like that helps to us kind of express to each other who we are as people and stuff and I think it's really cool. <laughs> Me too. Cuz and we really are having conversation and we are properly disagreeing. Even though there are, it's being recorded, it is actual conversation. Yeah. I think we're both pretty genuine people, so that's the thing. We're just being, we're just being ourselves. Yeah. Another pit that I liked, this, this I loved, 
Well, she says this is actually the only one. I'm assuming it's a female because I don't know because of yeah. all the because <laughs> of all the the female love. She goes, <laughs> the stories about your science lives are so cool and a great glimpse into the weird, weird world of academia. I hate hearing about discrimination, but it's good to hear the reality mm. from firsthand in genuine stories. I really love it. Um, yeah, so thank you for sending us this email. Uh, is it Hone Rata? That's the name of the person, mm. and I just really appreciate that. And thanks for reaching out. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, it was such a lovely message to get, and yeah, thank you so much. It, it really made me smile so much. It's so good to hear that kind of feedback because I love doing the podcast, but, but you know, it's like so much hard work. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, am I nuts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and then you just hear one person saying i really appreciate this and it feels it feels like um yeah. that's a good reason uh speaking of our science lives let's actually get into it if you have anything you want to report because it sounds like you are stressed as shit honey i am i am incredibly stressed um i don't really kind of know what to do with it it's like so i've got my i've got a deadline for it. it's supposed to be my first submission Um, And unfortunately for my first submission, it's going to a special issue, which means there's a hard deadline. So when you have a lot of stuff and a lot of information and you're just trying to reach a deadline, you're just going, you're just working because you're just trying to get everything in. You're just trying to get it structured the right way. You're just trying to get, you know, you're worrying about your graphs. You're worrying about all these, these things to get it in. But when you're in a position where you're like, I'm supposed to have something but I don't have what I need in order to do that, I become so paralyzed yeah. into, uh, what what do they, they call it executive dysfunction. You know, I fall into that place where it's like, I know I need to do the thing and I want to do the thing and I'm really interested in the thing, but I just can't do the thing. <laughs> and I just, I, I just feel at this point where I, I, I'm, on, I'm very close to a breakdown because like, I just feel like I'm failing. I'm just 100% going to fail. Mm. I, I'm not doing all the work that I, that I sh- could, should or could be doing in order to achieve this. But because every time I try to do it, it's so overwhelmingly failing that, you know, when you, when you sit there for 10 hours, just changing one thing, changing one thing, changing one thing, and nothing works. And you're like, I haven't moved from this spot for 10 hours and nothing I have nothing different than what I had this morning. That's really, really demoralizing and yeah. disheartening. So I'm just, I'm just, that's where I'm, I'm there right now, which sucks. Is this for the special issue? Yeah. Is this the special issue? Yeah. So sometimes you just have to accept that you aren't going to get anything in for the particular deadline and that is totally fine. And even though it's been loads of work, sometimes it's not right. And if it's not right, it's not right. And it's okay. And it's totally fine. So that's one thing. You have to give yourself the option of being like, it just won't happen and know that that's absolutely fine. That's one thing I would want to say to you, that I think it is normal and it isn't just you. It's totally normal. And And I also relate heavily to the paralysis thing, that executive dysfunction. If I feel stressed, like this is so bad, there might be a series of tasks that should be simple and I know how to do them and yet I can't do them. Yeah. Because I'm so upset about it. And I think that I was sort of expressing that a bit last week. Like, this is just, none of this is working out and I can't do any of it. And I, I relate to that executive dysfunction. I really do. Like, yeah. you should be able to, but you can't. Yeah. I think it's part and parcel. I think it's, it's all normal. Yeah. Well, 
again, like if, if it ain't right, it ain't right, Abby. Like it's okay not to submit. It's totally fine. Have a cry and then like it's okay. I, I it's feel really like okay. For me, I feel like for me, I would be okay with that. Like for me, I feel like I'll be, I would be able to put myself into a position where I just go, well, look, that didn't work out this time, but now I'll just focus on making sure that this is like as good as it can possibly be. I can put mm-hmm. more detail in. I can focus more on this. I can make it more specific to our experiment. Blah. All these things. I don't want to let down my supervisor. That's where everything comes from. Mm. That's where the emotion comes from. I don't want to I, be I a failure it. in the eyes of my supervisor. And that's what that's where the stress comes from. If my supervisor You're... just turned around to me now and just said, like, don't worry about the special issue, just work on it. And when it's ready, we'll look at something else. Then I would just immediately go. Uh, OK, but firstly, he works for you. Don't forget that. You don't work for him. He's your supervisor. It's your project. Yeah. So I just think that like it's, you know, he's supposed to be working for you. But also you got to speak up if you're emotionally not. You, I think in order to normalize the fact that sometimes you are not emotionally coping, it's very important to feel like it's OK to say this is where I am emotionally. And I yeah. think that it should be normal, especially for us geniuses. <laughs> Um, you have emotional troughs that are really fucked. And I think that yeah. it's common and sometimes your executive dysfunction, right, kicks in or yeah. you're just so overwhelmed. And I think that it's okay. And if I ha- had a student, like that's, you know, I'd want them to tell me the truth. And I just know from my experience that when you're in that place, you're in that place. And this, you know, you can't push somebody further yeah you can't push somebody out of it you just have to be like i accept defeat this isn't working and i just yeah. i just would encourage you to be honest and i'll try it yeah i will it doesn't mean I you're a failure two weeks left. it doesn't mean <laughs> I have two, two weeks well, you know look maybe it can happen maybe what you need is a day or two do you know what i'm saying yeah maybe if you just t- put it down and maybe you could try that just to reset maybe that would be enough but it you haven't failed if you don't do that but i also do again want to normalize the way you're feeling is i think normal and part of the package of like you know being afraid of failure and being afraid that you're failing seems to be totally par for the course for people that are doing their phd especially in an area like physics and it's a normal thing and it happens to everybody and I know it's easy to say, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, it's it's hard to actually not be so hard on yourself. But yeah. if you can do anything to make it go easier on yourself, that you should. But also, I totally understand that total fear of failure. I mean, it's very yeah. relatable. But I, I just would encourage you to to give yourself a break. because I really appreciate you saying all of that. Because I do think it's like, I think that we, particularly as students, and it might, it, things might shift differently, but I don't think even they shift that much when you, when you, when you've actually moved into academics beyond your having no. achieved your PhD. But like, we, we don't speak about it. No. So then you feel like you're the only one who's failing. And then you look at everyone else and it's like, oh, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> but you know it's just that thing so I just feel like like you said normalizing it just talking about it 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 makes me feel like I have more power and more agency to actually go and speak about it and to do it in a less emotional Mm. way of being like 
you know, approaching the thing where it's like, I'm sorry, I'm such a failure, instead of just kind of going like, look, this is what's going on right now, and I'm not handling it. And I, the, the, the stress level is at the point where I'm so paralyzed, and I feel like I'm going to vomit every moment of the day. But the fear of failure isn't making me more productive. <laughs> it's destroying any productivity I have. But I think that normal, like, you can't be under such a normal emotional distress. It's not okay. It's not necessary part of job. That's a capitalist lie. Yeah. And not just for PhD, for anything. Like, I'm over it, man. Quality yeah. of life matters. Quality of life matters now. I, I want to feel good. I don't want to feel like shit, you know? And oh. it's like, I didn't want someone to tell me how how much I should torture myself for a fucking job. Are you kidding? Even if it is science and for the betterment of humanity, I, we don't get paid enough for this shit like it's crazy so you know take it go easy on yourself and seriously i think if i were you i would just take a day or two to just like sleep this off and then see if you feel better and if you feel like you can't use the two weeks then call it maybe set a deadline go like if i feel still feel this way by mm, yeah i have to make this decision but maybe i'll i'll sleep anyway i'm sorry to hear that but i do just want to say i super appreciate uh I needed this conversation. I needed to talk to someone uh, who can like, I just need, I needed to know it wasn't just me. I needed somebody to, you know, resonate with the whole executive dysfunction thing to, to just feel like it's oh. just, I, just to remind myself, it's not me failing. It's just, you know, it's, it's just the way it goes sometimes and it's okay. And yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, I do. I, you've made me feel a lot better about everything. And I Good. think you're right. Okay. I was going to work on it all day after we got off this. I was going to spend the whole day working on it. But no, No. I think you're right. I'm actually just going to lie down. (laughs) I think just let it take over your body. I also like to comfort myself to to feel like maybe brilliant people are more like on the edge. And I sometimes feel like I'm always on the edge of like (laughs) being nuts. And I I think I I go, I'm brilliant. That's because I'm brilliant. And then I'm always on the edge. I'm just... That's that's how I comfort myself, but I do feel nuts most of the time because I do like normalizing emotional meltdowns. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say on that note, I'm actually doing quite a lot of work in therapy about my emotional meltdowns, which I've had since I was really little. And since I was really little, I've always had a degree of shame and trying to mask mm. it, you know, like severe emotional reactions that feel like out of whack with what people yeah. expect. And I'm really working on un- like just sort of being okay with it and like doing – you know, just because the amount of work it takes to hide your big emotional responses is over, you know, the course of your 40 years. It's like it, you, yeah. sort of, you don't even know who you are anymore after a certain point. You're just in a constant <laughs> fog of trying to, like, calculate how you should behave and it's exhausting. Yeah. So I am really into the idea of, like, big meltdowns and big emotional responses are okay and yeah. shouldn't be punished and shouldn't feel shamed. And even as I'm parenting, like Raf sometimes has them really bad ones. And the last one he had, it was so bad and I let him be. And then I could see as he was coming out of it, he was feeling a degree of embarrassment. And what I did was I went straight to the McDonald's drive-thru and I just was like, two ice creams, please. And he was like, mom, no, mom. And I was like, you need like, you need a boost, man. Yeah. And I, we sat and we ate ice cream. And after like a minute, he was like, da, da, da. I was like, see, sometimes you just need a bit of ice cream and you get back up and you don't have to be embarrassed. I didn't say this to him, but that yeah. is not your fault. And yeah. you're not in trouble for being, you know, you're not in trouble. Like it's yeah. okay. And even better, here's an ice cream. And I was, I felt like I was unpicking Aww. all the damage <laughs> done to it. me as a kid when people were like, you're crazy. <laughs> 
what's wrong with you? I love it. So, oh, yeah. Okay, all for so, it. Okay, so I'm going to take whatever, whatever you do with Raft, unpick it. I will then just mimic <laughs> that for myself. So I'm going to get off here and I'm going to go get ice cream. <laughs> going to have a cry, get yeah, ice cream, I'm really and then into have ice cream. <laughs> and also no shame about using food to soothe either. Food feels yeah. amazing. Yes, it's delicious. It, does, yeah. it feels like ice cream is also creamy and it's like cooling and it just does everything right for me. So I normalize ice cream as a soothing thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bing, John, normalize ice cream as a soothing mechanism today. Okay. So being John Malkovich is the movie today. Yes. And I've written a summary. <laughs> Get a load okay. of this. All right. <laughs> Craig Schwartz is a puppeteer down on his luck, or so he feels. He finds a surreal filing job working for Oddball Lester, where he meets the magnetic Maxine. At the job, he discovers a portal that leads him into the mind of John Malkovich, and he and Maxine decide to use the portal to turn a profit. Meanwhile, his wife Lottie's experience of the portal brings up big questions for her, and she uses John Malkovich's body to embark on an affair with Maxine, who seems to be able to control everyone around her. In a jealous rage, Craig captures Lottie and takes control over Malkovich using his puppeteering skills and taking Maxine as a lover who abandons Lottie, turns Malkovich from actor to puppeteer. In her despair, Lottie turns to Lester, who explains that he and his friends plan to permanently overtake Malkovich on his 44th birthday in their plan to live forever. Am I done yet? <laughs> they kidnap Maxine to force Craig out to overtake John Malkovich. And Craig, desperately trying to regain control, accidentally ends up in the mind of Malkovich, Maxine, and Lottie's daughter, damned to be a passive observer for eternity. <laughs> wow. That is being John Malkovich. It's been a so, long time since I've seen this movie, like a long really? time. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't, I, I can't even remember. Like, so I was excited to watch it because I was like, I love that movie. <laughs> it's like so much of it. I was like, this is not reading to me how I first watched it. <laughs> it's way crazier. You know, <laughs> crazier. Like I watched it when I was quite young. Yeah. So what it was nineteen ninety nine. I watched it when it came out. Yeah, I think thirteen I with my family, with my parents. Like so, my I watched it like in my parent, like in the in, on a video or something for sure, or even in the cinema. Like it was a big film in my family. I can't explain it. Like my family loved this movie. And although I'd seen plenty of movies with my parents and there'd been sex scenes in it and they would just be like, whatever. And I'd be cringing with this movie. They were cringing with the sex scenes. And I, and I remember as a little kid going like, why are you being so weird about this sex scenes? And you're not weird about big love or whatever it is. And then I watch it as an adult and I'm like, I see. I see why my parents were like, don't look, Frida. <laughs> look away because it is. It, it's kinky doesn't even cover it. I don't think it's 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 more than that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how to characterize the nature know. of the sex in this movie. Um, it's, it's it's definitely. 
it's like sorted and yeah. it's very corrupt. <laughs> it's horrible. Like the taking control over someone's body and yeah. weird kind of like rape, rapey kind of. Yeah, that, it exactly. Implications. That, yeah. Absolutely. There's the, there's, there's two kind of things with it. There's the initial thing where like he, there's the initial one when he's into Maxine and he wants to, like he he wants to be with her. Those that first one, Malkovich. When, yeah, when Laddie is inside is inside him. Um, so like he, you know, he's he's not aware of the presence of Laddie, but he himself personally wants to have sex with yes. Maxine. So that one is fine. It's when he's like, I don't like when he realizes what's happening. And then Craig takes him over permanently. Then you're like, well, no, now because he's known what's happening and he doesn't actually want Maxine anymore because he thinks Maxine's crazy. So now you're mm. now you're doing a forcible control, which is massively inappropriate. The first one feels like a threesome, but without note. Well, the first one's like voyeuristic. The first one is sort of a weird kinky kind of like, oh, my God. And it's like yeah. kind of like a gay thing going on. And like, but the second one is a Maxine is also not given consent because she thinks it's Lottie. Yes. So she's yeah. also unknowingly having sex with Craig. So everyone is just getting raped by Craig, essentially. It's yeah. insane. Anyway, um, before we let's pull back from that and just talk about our overall feelings of the film. And I think that we will do a big discussion at the end of like best fireway, best bits, because that seems to be working well. So. But what do you, do you like the movie? Do you, yeah, what's no, your feelings about it? I really like the movie. I do think that, I know it's surrealism to a certain degree. And I know you're, I know it's, I know it's Charlie Kaufman who you, you have a little obsession with, or at least a, an appreciation of. <laughs> uh, but like, so it's I second do, outing. Yeah. I do enjoy yeah. it. But definitely on this rewatch, I I was a bit more like I don't feel like it's I don't feel like it's something I'm gonna want to watch again. Mm. Do you know I don't feel like I'm gonna be like oh yeah I I'll be rewatching that soon again or anything like that. I just like, you know. I I enjoy it, but yeah, it definitely, it's fucking mm. weird. <laughs> yeah, I find it really watchable. I've watched it a lot and. Um... I find it really charming and I love the surreal elements of it. We'll talk about actually surreal, surreal stuff later, but I like how, because it's surreal, it elevates it above banal banality and it gets really extreme with a lot of, for example, Craig's character is unambiguously terrible. And if you compare that to a lot of like male sort of hero figures in movies from that year, which is something which is the Matrix and Fight Club, you have equally, you know, straight white male characters who have a sense of like office boring and, uh, you know, being emasculated and, and, and coming out and being somewhat like hero. And, and, and even though they're got qualities, like, especially in Fight Club, you're like, is this guy here or no? But people looked at it up to him, you know, and that from that entire generation. And, and and I love that Kaufman is not afraid to be unambiguous that this guy is no hero. Yeah. And in case you had any confusion up until the point where he kidnaps his wife, right? At that point, you should be clear. He's yeah. like, just in case any of this was ambiguous for you, let me make him even more horrible. Yeah. So the extreme nature of all the characters for me makes it really play out this very dramatic thing because everyone is like really in their like crazy roles and I and I really enjoy the 
the, the, the theater of, of all of the character interactions quite a lot. So I, th I really enjoy that, that craziness of it because it's satisfying to me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's, let's, let's go into just, let's look at cast actually while we're on that. So do, there's a James Rebhorn in here. Did you, I'm sure. Sorry, I'm just trying to put it was that in the in elevator. See if it'll hold it up. Yeah. In the elevator. Oh no. It was Octavia was Spencer. Octavia yes! Spencer was the person that pressed the button and get, yeah. lets him into the Yeah. 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 She was in Never Been Kissed, wasn't she? She yeah. was like one of the office gossip ladies. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we have as cast um uh John Cusack, obviously as Craig. We have John Malkovich as John Malkovich. John Horatio Malkovich as John Malkovich. John Her I'll have you know. You know, from the, ju <laughs> the Jewel Thief movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have Cameron Diaz as Lottie, which in this role is like, you know, it was really an about face. Mm. And then we have Catherine Keener as Maxine. And we have some side characters. Um, I don't know who the who's Lester. I'm not sure. I'll look it up really quickly. But I really also the person that plays the secretary is very funny as well. Let me find oh, her yeah. name. So Orson Bean is Doctor Lester, and Mary Kay Place is Floris. And then we have Charlie Sheen plays himself. Yeah. Machine. With, oh, sorry, a machine with the greatest uh, receding hairline at the end. <laughs> glorious. So much. By the way, when you look at the Wikipedia page for cast, it says Octavia Spencer as woman in elevator. Yeah. So let's talk about John Cusack first. Thoughts on John Cusack? So John Cusack historically is one of my favorite actors. Like, yeah. Gross Point Blank is yeah. one of my favorite movies. And I used totally. to re-watch that movie over yeah. and over and over again. It's so ridiculous how many times I've watched that movie. Um, it's so good. It's such a good name as well. Like, I never oh. can ever get over how... I think it's the most brilliant film name ever in the history of I just I, I, I was actually just checking his IMDb quickly because I just wanted to have a look at, like... I, I just, he's just so fantastic, but he's not really been around recently. Oh yeah, High Fidelity, of course. Um, yeah. Oh, Serendipity. Oh God, come on, I'm sorry. Serendipity is great. <laughs> I fucking love Serendipity. <laughs> well, we all learned about the word Serendipity at the yeah. same time. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, I love him. Um, He's perfect here. He's perfect. Oh, yeah. He does such an incredible job. Oh, he's in Utopia. Interesting. I haven't watched that yet. Um, so, yeah, he does such an incredible job of being so disgusting. <laughs> like, he's so vile. His entire he's character. So From the first <laughs> moment that he meets Maxine, he's fucking vile. So what are you working and stuff? Just trying to, like, his, his impression of trying to seem like he's friendly and innocent is so good. And it's dripping off of him like the sleaze. And yet he's like, so do you work here and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and she, her reaction is like, 
And can we just move into Catherine Keener because me and Kath, this, wait, this, because I was the... Wait, before you do yeah, Catherine Keener, I was just looking at John, yeah. so John Cusack. So I was just trying to see. So he was in a movie. He's not been in too much recently, but he was in uh, a movie from 2017 called Singularity. So I've just had a look and it looks like it's a shit sci-fi movie. So <laughs> we will have a return to Cusack. <laughs> Excellent. Also, I have been wanting to do a Hitmen Assassins miniseries. So oh, we ooh, could do Gross Point Blank. Assassin in Bruges. Oh, in Bruges? In yeah. Bruges? Well, I'm from Dublin, so I'm not retarded. It's the best, greatest line in, in film history. The best line in, in ever. Anyway, sorry. Um, Catherine freaking Keener. That entire, I just am curious. I don't understand I'm that curious. character. <laughs> I'm curious what your opinion of her character is, actually. I really want to know. What do you think about her? You think she's one thing, right? The whole time you just think she's one thing. Absolutely. She's, you know, manipulative. She's out to get what she can. She doesn't really care about people's feelings. You know, she's just, she's a gold digger. She's a, you know, she's all these things. But there's just little bits and it's part of the surreal aspect of it. Like the whole scene where he guesses her name, the whole ridiculousness um. of him guessing her name. And I honestly, because of everything I thought I knew about her character, when he says Maxine and she goes, oh my God, how'd you guess? I thought she was being sarcastic. And then I was like, oh no, wait, she's actually like, and now they're going for a drink and I, what are you? Who are you lady? Uh, you know, she, I, I think that I, I can actually answer that is that she's perfectly comfortable with who she is as opposed to every other person in the entire film. Yeah. And it's captivating and um, she's confident. She just, she's comfortable. And, you know, when I was young watching that, for me, she was a total role model of yeah. how far confidence gets you. You don't have to be the most modelly face ever. You, but you have confidence. It can carry you very far. And I think she is one of the most attractive women in yeah. cinema. Like that character. And it's because she's so confident. And it's also... It's, she really sticks with me, her confidence. Yeah. It's, it's really set in there. A thing that they do is... And you get the scene from the scene when they're in the pub, when they go to the, the bar and the way she sits, everything about her, she is exuding masculine energy in how she approaches everything. Her her stance when she sits down, she always does a, a man spread legs when she's sitting. Man spreads. She leans back in a certain way when she's in the bar with totally. everyone and all the guys are laughing. But it's not the whole, every. it's not that all the other men are looking at her. They're not all like, oh, leering on the woman in the bar because it's a sexual thing. She's one of the lads. She's one of the men in the smoking bar. She's with the cigars, with the scotch. She's, they're making fun of the other guy. You know, they're all kind of in on it together. So she's everything yeah. about her. She has all that feminine sexuality that she utilizes uh, to a certain degree. But her confidence and her progression through everything comes from the masculine energy that she's using and exuding. And she's just basically like, 
I'm I'm Life. in the room. I am at the fucking table. I am the one who is, you know, I get invited to the retreats. I'm like all that stuff that we talk about, the gentleman's club kind of thing, how women are always excluded yeah. from the gentleman. She's in the gentleman's club. But it's not it's not I, like uh... done in an intentional way of being like she's a woman who is in, infiltrated that way. That's just who she is. It's fantastic. She's that's hot. That's crazy hot. Like I and I and I it fits in a lot of the themes of man and a woman, woman yeah. and a man. You know, wearing a different, wearing a different. It's almost she's like a a man wearing the suit of an incredibly attractive woman and knowing very well how she can use that yes. to get what she wants. She might be read as mean if it was any. If he was yeah. a little bit, it was it was ambiguous about him. No, 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 but he's awful. And so I wish you know you kind of want to be her. You want to be someone that goes, mate. Don't even try. It isn't going to happen. Yeah. Unless, of course, you get into the body of John Malkovich and then I've, then maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Cameron Diaz. Oh, she's great. What can I even say? What can you even say about Cameron Diaz? <laughs> she's so sweet. Yeah. And she's not, she's totally different than every other thing that she did. Like every yeah. other thing. The look. What the hell? The way that they make her look and everything. Like it's just, but it's the same with John Cusack. Like they make the everyone else is made to look a certain way so that Maxine has a certain kind of stature maybe true. but um <laughs> but like it's great with Cameron Diaz because she's able to I don't know she I, I don't really know what to say about her actually to be honest with you yeah the character is great she's quite it, it's very sweet the whole like awakening that she goes through in her character no. I love the change from when she's at home with Craig to the first time she goes into John Malkovich and then she comes back out and immediately she's just like, fuck! <laughs> just like going, cool. <laughs> I love this. I know, I love her. I love how she's kind of um, emotionally all over, like she's kind of got this all over the place energy. I like her energy. Yeah. She's loving, she's giving, she, her emotions are right there. She expresses herself, you know, she's unpretentious. I think that's the thing about her. And it's, 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 it's like really, really sweet. When she says, uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Felmer about sexual reassignment surgery. Yeah. And he's like, you know, she's a dentist or whatever he says. And she's like, why? But I just thought, you know, why do you always have to yell at me? Because I just thought I could ask him for his opinion. Is that really so terrible? Like, why are you always yelling at me? He's an allergist, Dr. Feldman. That was amazing. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so sweet. All right, let's move on to the next topic at hand, which I guess is... you want to talk about John Malkovich? <laughs> oh, yes. In the movie oh. called... John Malkovich John is Malkovich. obviously playing John Malkovich, <laughs> which John Malkovich, they wrote this role about John Malkovich in the hope that he would agree which is so, insane. They couldn't great, think of another person you, to do it. I was like, I was going to ask you, like, has <laughs> did they ever consider anyone else? Did they ha ever have Never. anything in their mind that, like, if John Malkovich says Never. no, who would it be? Because I just can't imagine any other person doing it. <laughs> they they thought they tried really hard to think of another person. This is amazing to me. They could not think of another person other than John Horatio Malkovich, and they approached him to do it, and he was like, no. I'll direct it. And they were like, no. <laughs> Actually, I think um, the script was passed to Francis Ford Coppola, who at that time was Spike Jones's 
father-in-law and so that's how spike jones got it right but charlie kaufman wrote it because he was doing sketches and stuff he wrote this as a way to kind of try to break into hollywood um i don't know why john malkovich because his name is sort of sounds funny i have no idea why but he originally said no um because what if it doesn't work like how mortifying Um, the risk is so big um, but then eventually they talked him into it pretty much because the script was so good. Um, and there's so much behind the scenes. There's such great behind the scenes stuff. And actually in adaptation, this is so meta. I can't even Charlie Kaufman. Maybe we'll do, we should do adaptation too at some point because it's, it's very sciencey about ghost orchids, but in adaptation, um, Nicholas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman and Charlie Kaufman's imaginary twin brother <laughs> who are both builds who both won the Oscar together for writing it even though one doesn't exist I don't even know where to oh begin but in that movie Nicolas Cage as Charlie Kaufman visits the set of being John Malkovich amazing so in that movie they go back to the set where it's it's Catherine Keener and it's 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 John Cusack in the seven and a half floor and I'm like did they reenact this did they just chuck Nicolas Cage in there with digitally like what the (laughs) fuck like this is like this insane universe of Charlie Kaufman and this is our second one um we did um Internal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind and I made the comment there that Michelle Gondry who's more surrealist directed that whereas this is Spike Jones. And it's just like totally different. It's yeah. even though it's surreal, it's not as like it's decidedly surreal as the other one. So yeah, what do you think about John Malkovich in this? Uh, he's so good. I remember at the time. All right, I remember it being that thing where it was like, why John Malkovich? Because it was like, <laughs> how famous is John Malkovich at this stage? And and like, what's he really famous for that it would make it specifically be him? But when you watch interviews with John Malkovich, I think it's I think it's quite clear why it's like he's not I don't think he's the type of person that you'd be able to have a conversation with and just know how the conversation is going to go. You would always be on edge because you're just like, what's this dude going to (laughs) say? He's weird. um, I agree with you. One of my favorite things, though, I did want to say is the one thing that I wrote down about him being in it. So at the start, it's not really much when he is being John Malkovich, when he is being Craig in John Malkovich is exceptional. Where we are so into that. By the way, we love it. We love it. We love characters being in other characters, acting like other characters. And as I was watching it, I was like, this is so up our alley because we've seen this a few times where people have to become other people in the face thing. Which movie was Inner Space was a really good one. And I was paying close attention at how good he was at being shitty Craig so good i like you know you you actually forget that it's john malkovich you you forget it it's in my you're watching it and you're like it's still john cusack being craig like it's craig is there craig is right in front of you with the terrible comb over and the fact that he grew the hair along again and it's just and he and he's also just painfully he's such a loser and i and and like when because katherine keener has now partnered with him maxine has partnered with him for like access to malkovich's wealth and power but essentially has to put up with craig and you realize that (laughs) that he's like he's like why i'm gonna get a break my hip and she's just like (laughs) The whole thing How with much the, longer? The whole thing with the documentary, the complete 
absolute madness of this idea that Malkovich <laughs> becomes a puppeteer. <laughs> because, and and Sean Penn is so like famous. Soon. And Sean Penn is like everyone's I don't want to get into it because I don't want to seem like I'm just copying Malkovich, but I'm pretty sure all of us will will end up getting into puppeteering. <laughs> like, no one's gonna do this. What? It's, it's so unbelievable. Weird. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, oh. and it's so weird. there's so many other cameos while we're at it. The Brad Pitt cameo. Did you see that one from the documentary yeah. too? How good is that? Yeah, the face. That's surreal. See, that's surreal yeah. to me. Like that, Catherine Keener, and then Brad Pitt. Like I just, it just, it messes with. Because I know that there's plenty of movies that have celebrities in it, right? Yeah. So you'll have you'll have Catherine Keener. Or even like Ocean's Eleven is a good example. It's Brad Pitt and it's George Clooney, but they have a celebrity poker thing with Topher Grace. So you're supposed to right. believe that that isn't Brad Pitt and George Clooney, yeah. but that's Topher Grace, right? And that's one thing. But for some reason, the way they do it here has a surreal, uncanny thing going on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That it's not just suspending disbelief it's putting you in a different reality you, yeah I, you're it not never sure. it never felt like oh it's weird it felt it felt like it was yeah, yeah i don't i don't know how to describe it but yeah it, it wasn't like oh we're now pretending that he's oh i don't know it's probably because you've got the whole craig in Malcolm. i don't know okay let's let's go on to um themes because um we're pretty far into the movie but the theme that i picked out was being yourself basically there's so many things and we'll discuss more of the themes in terms of the subconscious versus the conscious for who who are we etc are we our minds are we our bodies but i think this whole thing about being uncomfortable in your own skin yeah is a theme which um is definitely plague Craig, um, Lottie through you know the idea of being yeah. transgender or want or even even if it's gay but uncomfortable with that and needing to be in a man's body to yeah. act. I'm not sure. Um, I find that, and then you have the contrast of Kath, of Maxine who who has the only character who has no desire to go inside. Yes, she yeah. expresses not one desire, and that is because she is happy in her own skin. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. She's completely comfortable. And it is that contrast between um, Craig is not, I don't, I don't know that Craig doesn't really have much desire to be in Malkovich. So I feel like there's, I feel like there's two, there's two kind of storylines going on. You've got Craig's side of things because he doesn't care about being John Malkovich. He doesn't become John Malkovich to then just be a famous actor because he's like, "Oh, now I can be no. John Malkovich." No, he's like, "Oh, now I can now I can make puppets and people will watch." Like that that aspect of who he is in terms of the puppeteering thing is still there. Um and he wants all of that. So he only wants to be in John Malkovich because that's the only way Maxine will be with him. Whereas Lottie yeah. For me, Lottie, I feel like is a sexual awakening. Um, it's a coming out of the closet moment. She has a realization from the from actually being in John Malkovich, and the way his masculine energy makes her feel that she has a realization that she's gay. Yeah, yeah. So she, initially, she thinks that it's like I want to be a man because that's how I felt in the in the yeah. body of John Malkovich. But eventually, she just realizes, oh no, it's it's that I feel I have feelings for Maxine. Yeah, 
I think that she's heavily attracted to Maxine. There is a lot of a weird internalized homophobia that's going on with Maxine and yeah. Lottie. And I think it's totally relatable. And remember, it's 1999, right? Yeah. And so you're a woman and you're feeling a strong feeling and it's very confronting. And so, of course, what they're going to do is, you know, we have to have this distance between us and it's John Malkovich. You're right about the, you're really right about the internal thing as well, because the whole stuff with Maxine being about how she can only be with Lottie if Lottie's inside John Malkovich's body. But she very clearly sets it up. She hears what Maxine is saying to Craig in the office and she, her next reaction is she calls Malkovich. We never know with Maxine, like she, why is her motivation to immediately call, to call, get John Malkovich to go on a date? Uh, yeah, while Maxine, what's her motivation? Why? I yeah, I don't, I don't know what her initial motivation is with that. But she, but like the whole thing that goes on with the kind of the love story aspect with Lottie is that whole thing about she sees Lottie looking out, which indicates mm. that she truly sees Lottie. It doesn't matter mm. what body Lottie is in; she sees Lottie. And um, yeah, she does see Lottie, and Craig does not. Yeah, Craig does not see Lottie. That confrontation in the rain is unbelievable because Maxine's bullshit comes down. Yeah, she's so full of shit, Maxine. She's like, I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but you know. And they yeah. just go, fuck you, Craig. Oh, that's my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> it's so good. It's so. It's just the way she delivers it. Fuck you, Craig. He's not with us. <laughs> get in the car I know, it's awesome. he's not with us <laughs> all right so let's get into trope actually because that ties into my trope yeah. okay cool. Um, okay. the trope the trope that i had so welcome to your section trope of the week we're talking being john malkovich and i had i think i only have one trope uh i have one trope oh no i have two tropes how many do you have um one second one. I think I just have one. All right. I'll give you one and then you give me one. Okay. And then I'll do the second one. So my first one is if I can't have you, no one will. Oh, yeah, of course. What's yours? Uh, terrible Irish accents. Who's Irish? Um, Merton. Oh, <laughs> That whole video. Away with you. Sir. You and your cursed kind. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but it's all made up. It's bullshit. Because oh. they just discovered the portal and built the building over the portal to cover it. Yeah. And built the seven and a half floor to hide it. And Lester is Merton. <laughs> okay. My other trope, you're going to love this, is doing gymnastics. Suddenly I can do gymnastics. I... <laughs> we have spoken about they can do gymnastics. You have some big change and all of a sudden you can do gymnastics. That was in the fly. <laughs> yeah. That was we in the fly. We were trying to understand how Jeff got, like, how his character was able to, like, become a fly. And then that meant he could do gymnastics because flies could do gymnastics. <laughs> and now, yeah, it's like... <laughs> Malkovich is a that, gymnast suddenly. <laughs> you know, the movie we're recording after this has a similar thing that yeah. happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Malkovich does gymnastics, although I acknowledge that the dance of despair and disillusionment from that scene is the same yeah. dance of disillusionment and despair in the beginning. 
Um, although, you know, the fact that he happens to have that recording lying around really pissed me off. All good, though. Yeah. All right, let's get into science. It's time. Um, okay, I have an opening speech. <laughs> <laughs> the, the film opens with the, with the sound of an orchestra tuning and the curtains of a theater a stage opening. Yeah. Right, a curtain, and you see a character. It's a wooden puppet staring into a mirror, looking at himself, and then he looks at us, and then he breaks the mirror. Right, Mm -hmm. so it's like this: looking through a theater, looking through a mirror, and then the mirror gets broken, and then he stares up, and then you see. uh, Craig is actually the one that's controlling him. Mm-hmm. So it's like this sort of insane, like back, back, back thing where, so you're like, is the puppet really feeling what he's feeling? And the puppet's like, I can't, is it really happening to him? And then of course he realized, then you realize that he's just in a workshop and the music is just a tape. So we realize no one's actually watching, but of course we're watching, you yeah. know, and our audience participation is sort of watching the puppet, not Craig. Right. Yeah which makes the puppet's experience real. Okay. Right? So even though Craig is controlling the puppet, it brings up emotion for us because we feel the tragedy of the puppet. So, and now the show begins, you know, it's crazy. And it's, and it's, it's a way to really bring us into the theme of the films, right? The idea of doubles. We are a theater watching a theater. We're a puppet. Yeah. There's Craig there and there's Craig there. And the mirror even. And it's like this idea of like double things within things, things within things, what does it mean to be embodied? What does it mean to be real? If it evokes, if the puppet evokes an emotion for us, then is the puppet's experience real? And it's like this insane web that sets up the movie and then they just like clicks off the music and then starts the story. Honey, it's yeah. really a trip. So I feel like it's this amazing way to start the movie that like brings you deep into the head fuck of the film, right? Yeah. I read a 30-page uh, essay on this film. Just want to tell you. Um, when? <laughs> this morning. <laughs> Did you just say 30 pages? Yeah. So listen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everyone strap in. <laughs> so no, it's not. It's really, it's like. The thing is that I went, I did, okay, so what we're going to talk about is the only thing I could really think about is the idea of what embodied simulation effectively, right? Yeah. Or experiencing a simulation through a body, right? Mm-hmm. Is he being John Malkovich, Craig, or is he being himself inside John Malkovich? Yeah. You know, is he getting the sensory input from Malkovich? Is he just seeing what he's seeing? Is he feeling what he's feeling? But what I wanted to discuss with you is whether he is him. Like, I just want to hear your thoughts on, you know, when Craig is in John Malkovich, where is John Malkovich? And where is Craig? Who is he? Is Malkovich Malkovich? <laughs> well, because, yeah, because it's his physical body goes into it, like in the portal. So we don't, it's not that, it's not that 
it's not that Craig's consciousness has left the body of Craig and entered the body of Malkovich or that like they've swapped it in any sort of way. His physical body enters into a realm of Malkovich's consciousness, but in such a way that he's able to overtake it and then I guess lock Malkovich up into a little box in a corner but in such a way that he doesn't remember what happens? Or is it that Malkovich is also there and experiencing everything at the same time as Craig and just not aware that Craig is there as an observer until he overtakes, until he can... Mm. Yeah, so initially he's just an observer. Initially he's just... He's a presence that's there um, that's able to witness the behaviour of Malkovich. But once... um, once Malkovich take once Craig takes over and is able to actually control Malkovich's body, then I assume that they switch positions and Malkovich becomes the observer, which mm. means he's trapped watching everything that Craig is doing. So he must be in there and trapped, but we just don't get what his experience of that is. And we do get a hint of it all right when he comes out, when Craig leaves before Lester enters. In that moment where he's on the street and he's like, I'm back, I'm back. And then it's like, no, he's gone again. Sorry. Sorry, dude. Where is Craig's body? So What is his body doing? His body is... His body... His body, through the portal, has been converted to pure energy. Uh, So his physical presence is no longer existing in the world outside of Malkovich's consciousness. So all the energy that goes into creating Craig's body is now in Malkovich's mind until he gets booted out and then he re-reconstitutes as Craig. On a molecular level, (laughs) even. (laughs) He's basically like, he's, it's like a transporter. It's, that's exactly what it is. This it's a transporter. Okay, we are talking Through Star. Markovich. We are Star Trek, Star Trek transporters. The fly he enters the portal, and then it's you know through the as he travels through to the area where he's transported, which is you know by the New Jersey Turnpike. Um, the process of him being transported to the New Jersey Turnpike just happens to take fifteen minutes and be. In Malkovich's mind. <laughs> so my question is, in terms of, you know, is he just a camera seeing stuff? Or does he feel stuff? Like, is he getting this sensory input yeah. from the brain? Or is he just a mind that's sort of sidelined in another mind until he takes control? Or is he getting neural connections as well? Like, yeah. and what's the, bra- the brain, the mind? And what's the distinction here between the brain and the mind? Oh, yeah, I wasn't clear on that. I wasn't clear on, like, is... Uh, is Because definitely we know that there's feeling that that's there. We know it specifically from Lottie when Lottie and Maxine essentially have sex. Um, we know that Lottie is feeling it. So she's having a physical mm. response. But is she just having a physical response because of but we do know that but there has to be tactile as well because when craig is there craig is trying to consciously move malkovich's hand 
you know? Do you remember? He's like, he's like, yeah, the yeah, hand, yeah. The hand, well, the hand and then the hand the moves and he's like, yes. So I don't know. Does that mean that it was just a visual cue for him that like got him off? Or is it that it was a tactile thing? That forcing the hand movement okay. allowed him We're gonna to get to feel that the in the second. So yeah, I don't know. We're, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. I would so so. We're gonna get we're gonna get into that actually right now because it's interesting that you say that because there's a lot of things going on here. To me, there's a distinction between your the body that you're embodied in that you know the brain is responsible for all the sensory input and output, which is like when we talk about building cyborgs and robots, right? Like that mm. part is one thing, but the consciousness and the mind, which you know, we'll get into that later about like, well, that's a different part that Craig, that, that makes, that's part of Malkovich, which it can only be Malkovich. And the only part of Malkovich that Craig can ever really have is his like concurrent sensory input. He can't yeah. actually be John Malkovich because he didn't, he didn't live as John Malkovich. Right. But anyway, it's very interesting you say that because, um, um, there's this idea of seeing something and, uh, or, or hearing something and having a sensory response that's the same as if that it happened to you, all right? So if, if you know, you're in John Malkovich and you can hear the toast crunching and see, you know, the teacup lifting up, there is a certain satisfaction of like, I feel like I'm having the tea or I feel like I'm crunching on the toast, right? And I guess I'm sort of getting into weird sort of ASMR stuff. I guess it's this idea that if just from auditory or visual cues, you can kind of have a sensory experience, but I'm not going to go there because, because the thing that I picked up on while I was reading about this is something called a mirror neuron. Mirror neurons are a type of brain cell that respond equally when we perform an action and when we witness somebody okay. else perform the same action, right? This was discovered in the early 1990s where a team of Italian researchers found individual neurons in the, ra- in the brain of macaque monkeys that fired both when the monkeys grabbed an object and also when the monkeys watched another primate grab the same object, um, the same actual individual yeah. neuron. And the study was in, published in Brain, which is, you know, it's like a big – um, important brain journal but very basic science stuff you know so it's the stuff that's published in brain is like these crazy sort of ideas about the brain but um not you know nowhere near translation right yeah very fundamental stuff anyway but going further people researchers started to to posit that that the dysfunction in in mirror neurons so the dysfunction in the ability to fire a neuron when you see somebody do something because what we're describing is basically empathy. I do it, I have a response. I see somebody do it, I have the same response. Okay, so this is idea of experiencing what what other people is are experiencing just from watching them do it. As a researcher started to deposit that this might be the underpinning cause of autism spectrum disorder, like a dysfunction in mirror neurons okay. is maybe the cause of autism. And there was a study, this is this guy called Fiore, um, Atago, Flosberg, and some other people. They published in 2005 in the issue of uh, Current Biology 2005. It shows that when autistic people watch the hand movements of other people, their, their brain's mirror neuron areas activate less than the mirror neuron areas in normal adults' brains. So that was a study that was published in 2005, right? So the point is that there is an actual mechanism for embodied simulation. So when I'm talking about VR and stuff like that, because this is very VR to me, right? 
you can shag on this and this and you can see and hear yeah. and your body is able to like fire off a response because there is this idea of a mirror neuron that you can kind of embody those experiences without wearing one of the skins yeah <laughs> from so it's interesting that it's almost like it's possible i guess in the realm of that science that lottie being in there or them being in there even though they only really got that camera because they're in the body that there's a way that it sort of simulates it for you without actually getting direct sensory input maybe maybe not um but but what i was getting at with this was that um so because he talks about this a lot see what they see feel what they feel right the experience of being in malkovich's point of view means that you not only align visually see what he sees but also um because of the what i was describing an embodied a motor system as well you feel what yeah. they feel see what he sees feel what they feel now this amounts to the experience um of being somebody that triggers a process of somewhat becoming malkovich right because if you going around with a different body makes you think differently and you become something different than just Craig because you're now Craig in Malkovich's body. So now I see what he sees and feel what he feels. I then become a version of Malkovich because of the fact that I've been embodied into Malkovich. And then you start to, it's like it actually takes on a new perspective. Right. Um, and so it's a hybrid thing, I suppose. And I'm just trying to stress the importance of embodiment, right? Like you can't, you suspend your mind, but once you're in a body, it takes on a new perspective. Okay, where I'm going, I keep jump. Yes, go. I, I can't remember the exact episode, but there's an episode of Star Trek Voyager, and it's the whole thing. I think it's, uh, oh God, what's it called? Tuvix. Is it? Um, it's uh, something happens, and it's, um, oh, sorry, one second. I think it's, I think it's uh, Tuvix. Is, um, yeah. It's uh yeah okay so something happens and it causes um Neelix two characters Neelix and Tuvok to uh, merge in some sort of weird accident and become a composite being that then they they then call Tuvix and Tuvix is basically kind of like a hybrid um so the doctors are trying to figure out how they separate the two identities so separate and bring back Tuvok and Neelix but then it brings up all these ethical implications or questions around but what about Tuvix like Tuvix is now a separate entity Tuvix is now a consciousness mm. that is a amalgamation of the two and a being that exists and what what yeah. do you do by removing that new being and it's kind of a similar thing with Craig in Malkovich because once Craig then takes over Malkovich's body as you said he's now having he's Craig being Malkovich it's a different mm. it's a different being it's not Craig anymore it's not John Malkovich it's a different composite being of the two of them and does that individual have an individual identity separate from yeah, Craig and yes. Malkovich he says it in the movie see what you see feel what you feel see what you see and that takes on a new perspective and it's a perspective he wouldn't have gotten as craig right mm. um and i was just thinking i was ruminating on this a lot because this is the entire idea of storytelling through like narrative fiction right the whole idea is thinking differently through taking on another point of view right why do we use narrative fiction or literary fiction 
to explore things about the world. Why don't we just read the newspaper? Mm. And the answer is, or we can read an encyclopedia, right? But the answer is that only through exploring a theme through another person's point of view, that's yeah. the only way you can actually think differently. You need the person to be a vessel for the themes and ideas because then you can take on their perspective. You can't think differently unless you embody somebody else's point of view. Yeah. So... But the fact that it's an embodied, that's my point. The fact that the simulation is embodied is the clincher here. You know, what really gives you the power to be John Malkovich? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like that Lottie is embodied and she takes on a new point of view. It's just interesting to me, the idea, because I think it's very in the idea of, of feel what they feel, see what they see. And I'm just thinking that the mirror neurons maybe is a pathway yeah. to no, feel think, what they feel. That's a really um, interesting perspective or an interesting way to, to find it. Yeah. Cause I actually, I think I was thinking about that. Cause when I was reading about it and thinking about, it, I started to think about the whole idea of taking on another perspective being a thing here, because to me, I like, uh, I don't read nonfiction. I read fake stories about fake people. And that's how I learned about the truth. That's my, like, because that to me is the way if I, if I can read, you know, about another person's story from a place, even if it's fake um, and a fake story, that's how I learn about the world. And a lot of people are like that, you know, so it's just it makes me think the importance of literally wearing somebody. Yeah. Is the way that you can think differently. OK, moving on to the subconscious. This is interesting because I touched on this before. Sorry, can I just, just because it follows from exactly what you just said there. And it's yeah. just, a, just to highlight the whole, I guess, I guess it's a meta perspective and everything. It's just the fact that the person that they're being is an actor. The fact that it is somebody whose yeah. entire role Famous. is about being <gasps> oh. other people. is a Like everything he does is about trying to simulate the embodiment of a different person. But now he's the one who's being forced Another layer. Yeah. <laughs> so more double meaning because you see Malkovich also embodying what Richard III or whatever he's doing up there. Mm. Um, that's a, that's a, he can't help it. Okay. So I want to talk about, um, we're both amazing. Someone just said the subconscious because I, I am not a religious person, but I mm. do believe that there is another part of us that it can't quite be captured by, physical psychological mental you know that they're emotional there's another sort of weird thing you know which i could call spiritual um you know that there are some traumas or wounds that are not quite psychological emotion but that are kind of spiritual if you know what i mean but and so my feeling about that is a consciousness what is consciousness I think we've gone over this before, right? That humans have a consciousness and it's a result of being embodied and having a very complex brain. Mm -hmm. Over time, you emerge a property, which is consciousness, right? And that is who we are and our awareness of ourselves. And it's just as a consequence of living. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, um, you know, who are we? This movie is so interesting in the sense that it goes into quite a lot of detail to explore 
in case you were ever curious, what makes John Malkovich John Malkovich? Because he's obviously a bit strange and he's a bit weird and he goes into quite effort to go through his subconscious and to show us very clearly what made John Malkovich John Malkovich. Yeah. Like, why is he who he is? Like, why did he act? Like, why is he any parts of him? And it's like, well, you know, what about him peeing on the bus? And what about his trauma here and being called weird? And like all of these things has led up to John Malkovich being who he is, including being an actor um and that that's sort of part of who we are as in we live and accumulate experience because of being here in a body and that makes us who we are and therefore there's no way you can just step into a body and become them because you haven't accumulated those experiences unless of course we're putting in the memory implants (laughs) Oh, yeah. that's when it always comes back into fake memory implants mm-hmm. is that enough and I think we've had this conversation several times where we've agreed no it actually isn't enough yeah. we talked you have about to live the, the it was experience literally our last movie actually we talked a lot about this yeah. so um, we won't need to go over it again but yeah it is it, but, but, yeah, <sighs> consciousness, a lot. consciousness is such a difficult conversation to have because there's so much ambiguity around it in, and there's so much that we just don't know or we can't really explain and then that, I think, leads to a lot of um, feeling around like ph- philosophical ideas, but also like subjective ideas like that. A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, this is what I believe. And it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I just kind of feel like there, there's a certain level where it's OK that it's, you know, it's what you believe. But like, it's also like we just we just don't know. Like, we literally don't know. We have no we way to know. describe we you know it's as you said like what makes John Malkovich John Malkovich I mean there's you know Craig inside John Malkovich nobody noticed that it wasn't him nobody thought it was weird he suddenly decided to want to be a puppeteer that's why he's the perfect person to embody perfect person to embody nobody thought that was weird but it's just nobody thought yeah yeah it's it's just such a like (laughs) the agent the agent scene is so good he's like great cool awesome I'll make some calls (laughs) just like i don't know it's i feel no, like it's true con- nobody knows yeah. nobody knows what makes like, us us we only can the thing theorize is we know- but also what i realized wait what i realized is that part of john malkovich's life experience is now being possessed too that becomes yeah. part of who he is as well <laughs> well be- because th- we definitely know like the effects that it has on who we are we know that like things that uh we we know all those stories about people who you know had brain tumors and their personalities changed so that if that has to call your personality has to come from your consciousness such a good point it comes from you know your environment and your experience of the world your personality develops and evolves through all of that as well but like also how you how you respond to certain things i mean there is the question of how much of it is your environment society the way that you're raised versus how much of it is just a property of the the structure of your brain of yeah totally you have you make such a good point because people can have brain brain injury and change their entire personality because it's like a neurokinetic thing therefore it's quite possible that it is all embodied yeah you know, that we don't, there is no other, it's all actually in the neurokinetics. It's such a complex structure yeah. that it does, it can I feel like it's that. I feel like that's, yeah. that it is. I like that it too. Is, I, I agree with you on the whole, like it's, it's an emergent property. 
you know, it develops because of the structure of our brains and what all those connections are. I take mm. the whole Roger Penrose point, um, the real point that he makes, not the not the pseudoscience point that people think he makes, but the idea that there's something else between when we talk about particle interactions on a quantum level and then we talk about what we know uh, of the structure and the understanding that there's something between those two that is what creates that emergent property is what allows the mm. consciousness to form i take the point that there's there's things there that we don't know and understand as of yet and we don't have a way to describe them in terms of how we know it's all there. what it is yeah um yeah, no, really, really great stuff. Love it. No, I, I feel like we agree. No, I, I think yeah. that the, as as technology gets more advanced and able to image the brain, I think we are at the dawn of brain science and I think we're yeah. going to see so much stuff. But, you know, we have to be, and I'm going to get into something now because we have to be cautious with fundamental research into the brain and its ability yeah. to actually apply across the board because the mirror neurons thing, <laughs> let me tell you what rabbit hole I went into. Oh, sure. I was a very, a very good girl and I thought 2005 – you know what, I'm going to be a good scientist and look up the most recent stuff because that's a long time ago. Mm. And if I was publishing an article on this, I would have to look up the more recent than that because I'd be dubious, right? Let me tell you what I found because I ended <laughs> up on this rabbit hole. The study I found was from 2005, right? Originally, when people come up with motor neurons, it was like, this explains everything. There even was a quote that said, it's like DNA was for, like what DNA was for biology or genetics. Um, so this is full this is this is like dna but for psychology it's yeah. like a similar level of grave it explains everything oh. it was written about in time magazine oh. new york times cnn bbc well the 200 articles were, were published about it um scientific journals implicating mirror neurons in act in action understanding autism this is just to name a few business management empathy language comprehension ptsd schizophrenia oh, and even more stuff like that and so the interest sort of peaked around 2013 it's not to say the research isn't continuing, but the brand of the mirror neurons started to really decline. And so I was Google, I was just like, what, you know, because I, I have a thing and I talk about this with my mom a lot when people go, the gut, it's the thing. It explains everything. I'm mm -hmm. like, there's nothing that explains everything. Like there's no one thing that people come up with that will answer all your shit. Like it's never going to happen. Yeah. Right. And so i really love this topic because I think a lesson can be learned. I was even Googling to see if it was on Joe Rogan because I feel like this is such a Joe Rogan yeah. thing. And lo, you can't <laughs> find so much Joe Rogan on YouTube anymore, but I found a Reddit thread discussing of an course. appearance. I knew, of I knew it was going to be fucking Reddit. I fucking knew it was going to be Reddit. <laughs> Go on. Listen, listen to this. <laughs> Jane McGonagall appeared on the show discussing neuron mirroring during gaming, right? <sighs> and they're discussing this. And one commenter said, I'm not sure that I agree that Twitch or YouTube gaming would trigger empathetic mirror neurons. It goes on to be like, because it's like a thread, you're not really interacting with a person. And someone says, I guess it's not for you to agree since they carried out studies and proved it. Oh. You know what I mean? Okay. So, and I looked at this like crazy hype, right? So what do we have here? Peak public interest, lively debate. Um, but then the results of careful empirical research was kind of disappointing against yeah. the hype of the grandiose claims. This explains everything, right? And then everyone kind of got bored of it. 
but still like many scientific topics, it's still worth investigating. Right. Um, so just to go like, what did it show? I think with the animals, it showed that there were specific neurons that fired, but when the human studies showed, they use a functional MRI, they show this spatial overlap, which is very different in areas of the brain that are active when people observe movements and execute movements. Right. And although eventually it was pretty much confirmed that mirror neurons are typically present, okay, it's not at all clear that they're responsible for that overlap, right? So then they started to change the term from mirror neurons to go, well, a mirror neuron system. But then it didn't like, it sort of go, well, this is sort of a system, but it wasn't really clear that mirror neurons actually constitute a system or are part of a system. So... And in, any, in a lot of these studies, it was only ever seen that a few neurons that were firing in this sort of overlap area actually had the properties of mirror neurons okay. uh, that were actually firing. So all the neurons that were firing during this areas of observe and executing in the fMRI, not all of those, only like 10% of those had mirror neurons properties. So this is like all this spatial overlap and some of them did, but there's no actual evidence that it's causal, that like mm. it's actually causing it. That maybe the mirror neurons are necessary for mimicry when you're a child actually is how you learn and how you learn language development. And maybe they linger in the adult brain, but not necessarily as responsible for shit. Right. I don't know, but basically it's just less interesting than all of that. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's funny because when you look at how did this happen and the original theorizing, like when they started to theorize in the nineties, they didn't characterize it by, you know, computational modeling. It was like by considering like in a navel gazy sense, like, you know, what is this good for? Like what would mirror neurons be good for? And trying to be like, what would it be good for? And what they did was they sort of broadly defined functions and they used everyday language um, instead of using precise scientific language right and so what the strategy did is it produced a sort of degree of hyperbole so they would say cells that read minds this is actually uh, actual titles so you use broad language and non-precise language it gets picked up by people and so cells that read minds was something picked up by the new york times oh, neurons that shaped civilization it kind of reminds me of the whole <gasps> mushrooms like mushrooms were responsible mm. for everything kind of thing a revolution in understanding social behavior these are all like titles of things and so on and so on i just find it so interesting and i found one paper this was a neuroimage this is a this is a, a thing that i published a neuroimage so like i'm like and you go this is neuroimaging this is from neuro yeah so it said Cerebral activation associated with sexual arousal in response to pornographic clips. <laughs> okay. So it was like, what? <sighs> oh, such Jesus bullshit. Christ. A quote from the study. The significance of these findings was so basically somebody watching pornography and having arousal. Yeah. Okay. The significance of these findings is discussed in the light of the current theories concerning selective attention, mind reading, and mirroring, reinforcement of personal stimuli and penile erection. Yeah. I just want to say, so I don't know. I just like, that's just kind of like this paper of like nothing, but like just hitching on board and then using the phrase mind reading. It's like, okay. Um, and so I just wanted to highlight that rabbit hole I went down because I read this article. It told me mirror neurons was a good way to explain it. I looked into it myself using how I know to actually look up content, found out that no, not really, buddy. And also the fact that there was this crazy hype that died down. 
And I just took it as a lesson to be like, you know, Joe Rogan I... loves a hype. He's yeah. like a science hype boy. Okay, so I so I was I had a conversation with another scientist about this recently, and she's also another science communicator, right? And um and she works at CERN, so like she's dealt with a lot of the you know the concern conspiracy shit that she constantly has people like at her about that she's always having to try to try to address in some sort of way, and it's it's infuriating. It's like what I find really infuriating is what happens is people see something. Uh, they see the hype about it. They see the headlines that get made. They don't... And, and I'm talking basic research skills here. I'm not talking about, like, um, people having to go deep on stuff. But it's just... Even as you said, it's like looking at it and it's just going, okay, this was said in 2005. What's been said in the last 20 years? And if you can't find information that's been said about this in the last 20 years then you need to like actually start to look and try to find why Why? have people stopped talking about it. It's not a case of like, oh my God, people aren't talking about this. They're not putting the funding into this. Let's look at it. It's like there's generally a reason why there's no funding going into uh, like investigating a topic because you ultimately find out that the way it's been hyped in the press and the media is false. It's not what it actually is. And... We are constantly having to fight against this kind of stuff. Constantly. And resources like Reddit and TikTok and YouTube all contribute to this bullshit and fucking Joe Rogan. Because what happens is we've learned as well that people don't... People are not interested in facts unless you can wrap it up into something exciting. Unless you can induce some sort of feeling in someone and just sitting there and going hey they had this thing about mirror neurons and then it turned out that it wasn't really all that kind of great so you know it doesn't actually explain this stuff people don't care about that what they want is someone to go to them and go oh my god this is the answer it's mirror neurons they do the thing and then people are like ah it's like the gut so that's the why gut you thing see. is the car it's the current one yeah so but that's why oh sorry the tesco delivery guy's outside so she's losing her mind it's not even coming to our house. It's just nearby. Um, but it's the whole... Lolly, stop, please. But it's the whole thing that, like, what what the most infuriating thing is, you've got the, the Joe Rogan people, right? But then what you start to notice as well is people, because of our... And we've talked about this before. Our desire for um, the way that we interact with social media, the way that we desire um, those like endorphins or that that dopamine hit that, you know, getting the reactions and the interactions. It means that people stop being thoughtful in how they're explaining things. And what you actually end up with is you do have communicators who should be being more um, reserved or being more... uh, realistic in how they approach things you now have science communicators using the clickbait hype to drive their engagement and just perpetuating the problem even further and it's just like it's exhausting i know and it It is exhausting but it's satisfying to use the bare minimum of information filter skills to understand how to get to the bottom of something like this and i read several summary articles i do find uh 
that um, review systematic review articles are really good for finding yeah. like what's been the research and I know how to do it and it was a satisfying thing because the truth is like empirical study in in mirror neurons is slightly plugging away just yeah. as boring as every other science topic that went to everybody before they got excited about mirror neurons the truth is nobody really wants to know the reality of plotting pace yeah. of science they want to hear like bah, 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 Einstein yeah. here's the Einstein. <laughs> Yeah, no, and the truth is it plots away and it's really not that interesting to you and it's not going to change your life that much, you know, yet. Yeah. But um, my the lady at the Whole Foods place loves talking to me about quantum computing. Oh. And I, I just, to me, I like to deal with what's in front of me right now. That's the kind of person I am and scientist I am. I'm not sitting there talking about something which is like not here yet and hypothetical. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to lose sleep over anything like that. But she was like, Joe Rogan and this scientist. And I was like, just because a scientist went to Harvard. First of all, he could have been the janitor at Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, I'm. let's not sit here and worry about quantum computing. Like, I'm a very wet blanket about everything. Like, I just, I'm like, dude, people die every day. Let's think about that. <laughs> let's move on because I'm fading real fast. Nope. All right. Yeah. Before we get into what the fuck, let's go through any best bits because yes. I've got a bunch of stuff that I wrote down for the movie that I, I just well. didn't get a chance to. Anything that you didn't get a chance to do, um, I will start. I will say, oh, Florence, my, what those figures can do. Maybe you could (laughs) alphabetize me. Remember, I come before you. And that is one of my what the fucks because the fast finger oh. vision not not even like her not her thing her 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 line is exceptional it is hilarious but the shots hilarious. of him doing the fast fingers in the filing cabinet is so weird weird I love I love her whole model like she basically does a monologue it's so in this movie this movie really goes all the way he touches the comment she monologues at oh, him she's amazing. it's unbelievable oh Give me like, one. but just keeping on Florence for a minute because like the whole thing is so hilarious I can't understand a word you're saying and then when he goes in and that's just sorry I have sorry I have such a terrible speech impediment flattery <laughs> like, will get you everywhere you're so kind to lie to me it's like what is happening also the card which one of these comes what comes first that's not a letter (laughs) very good god you're good i was trying to trick you that whole thing that was surreal it was like he was in a dream where literally people can't understand what he's saying and it felt like am i in a dream is this real so funny it was so good um Um, i love that yeah. oh my god when he goes to Maxine do you know that I don't know what your name is or where you work and she goes yeah, yeah. <laughs> all their interactions also oh. when, when he's like I don't know how I could go on living my life as I have and she motions to the window yeah that was <laughs> oh that was amazing I do, yeah. So like, I, I like, I had like just there the workplace flirting that he was trying to do. It was just so disgusting. His desperation for her was just so exa- like he was exceptional at that. John Cusack was so good. Um, and there's just one thing that he kept doing that made me so uncomfortable. He consistently used her name. Well, Maxine. What you see now, Maxine, it just every Maxine, single time. Maxine, Maxine. Yeah, he just, as soon as he learned her name, it was like every sentence had to include it. And that's something that people do 
intentionally to try to form a closeness to try to simulate a um oh really yeah so i think it's thing so i think it's and it's something that we should talk about i don't know i don't know how to do it but i think we should talk about it at some point because i had a conversation with another science communicator about it recently about the concept of parasocial relationships and so yeah so it's it's he's trying to force an intimacy with her by consistently using her name over and over again um, oh. Or because he just has a pleasure with saying her name. Uh, it's it's a creepy thing to do. Nobody does it. We don't do it in normal conversation. It's really noticeable mm. that he just kept saying Maxine. He doesn't wow. say Lottie. Kept saying Maxine. It was really gross. Yeah. You know when you're with a, you know when you're in a relationship, people don't say each other's names. You know that whole thing. I mean, yeah. it's very true. You don't. You don't. You never. If you someone says your name, you're like, what? No, <laughs> what did, see, someone that died the other day. I was like. <laughs> You don't say my name. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? There's so much here, actually. Willie Garson turns up, which says, I have a cousin yes. who's a retard. Oh, I really like you played that oh retard. God. That whole section, I was so uncomfortable. I was like, Again, stop it goes saying so that long. word. <laughs> I love so everything. Long. It's satisfying on how much it goes on for. What else have you got? Tell me. Um, oh, I'm just like the general idea. Like if my husband brought me to that door, like I would for sure think he was going to kill me. Like that just, just that whole idea that nobody, everyone is willing to crawl through this tiny door into this dark tunnel and not think they're about to be murdered. Like it's well, that's how much they hate themselves. Oh yeah, okay, fine. How much she wants to escape. Um, how about the guy that says John Malkovich was my second choice? Oh yeah. And the same guy saying, I'm a fat man. He wants to know what it's like not to be fat. That was heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. What else? Um, I just, the seven and a half. Oh, it just made me think, is that where um, JK got nine and three quarters from? No, it's just, a, it's just some idiosyncratic thing. I just like it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how about J- J- John Malkovich ordering his periwinkle towels, which I could have watched a whole movie of, <laughs> by the way. Going over, even the way he goes to the Chinese food and he gets the, the telephone cable caught in the mm-hmm. Chinese food and he like corrects it. And he, the way he's pottering around is yeah, so good. <laughs> um, I don't have anything else. John Cusack's skiing photo is absolute perfection perfection i remember that popping up and me just thinking craig doesn't ski what well, he went once he went once and that's the photo and he's just like yeah. ah, with his jeans how about her saying suck my dick craig <laughs> that's <Amazing>. awesome <laughs> Uh, Charlie Sheen saying hot lesbian witches sounds good oh to me. Oh my god! <laughs> I agree. I agree. It sounds amazing. They're using him to channel like the dead, but saying lesbian lover is very nineties. Dead lesbian yeah. lover. That is that. That was such a way of like degrading the integrity of a relationship mm. between two women. Um. The, the Malkovich Malkovich scene, which we haven't oh, discussed. Oh, Malkovich Malkovich. Malkovich Malkovich. The child is still always my favorite. The little kid at the table. Oh, it's so, the whole thing. Malkovich. 
It was so good because no. it, it's such a good way as well to kind of be like what happens when Malkovich goes into Malkovich. <laughs> Malkovich, Malkovich. Being in your head. <laughs> so good. So the chimp repressed memories. Oh, my God. We have Gina, we haven't even discussed. It's so oh, good. I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Oh. Bless him. Poor Elijah the chimp with his bad memories of not being able to untie his mum and dad. That was hilarious. So good though. Yeah. I love this scene. I kind of love the tragedy of the whole situation of her being tied up. It's so extreme. I just Yeah. It's so good. Um, what else? Uh let me see. Maybe that might be it. Sean Penn wants to puppet. Rapid cameo. No, that's it. That's it. oh Gary Sinise maybe Machine Malcatraz. This is this is Charlie Sheen and and John Malkovich greeting each other as here we're yeah. gonna go in a portal. You, me, Florence, Gary Sinise maybe. <laughs> yeah. I remember just being like, sure, Gary Sinise. <laughs> Anyway, that's it. All right. Okay. okay. Let's go to what the fuck. Okay. Have you got any what the fucks? I'm sorry I took yours away, Florence. Uh, <laughs> Do no, you have got, got any more? Yeah, I've got two more. Um, I, I'm okay. wondering, because we haven't mentioned it yet, I'm wondering if we're going to have the same one. How many I do you have... Uh, definitely two... Okay, I'll give you one. So, I think two. Okay, so my first one is... Um, three, three, three. My first one is, why would you randomly call a celebrity... Like, uh, her randomly calling John Malkovich. Just, just yes! calling John That's, Malkovich. Why does she have his... Why, why does she get everybody's number? Why, uh, like, how could no, she no, get no, everybody's I fir- number? I firmly believe she okay. gets the number. Like, Maxine. <laughs> Maxine gets what Maxine wants. Maxine got the number. She knew how to get the number. Uh, the problem is, why would John... Like, celebrities have stalkers like the fact that like he's you know i know it's lottie being like uh lottie. just go just yeah. yeah like just meet him just meet him just go meet her there meet her there meet her there meet her there but it's just like it's just such a random weird thing of just being like just the whole way she talks to him on the phone it's in there i guess it's like maxine as i said maxine gets what maxine wants so maybe she's just super confident enough to be able to ring up a random celebrity and just be like yeah i think you should meet me here i know <laughs> and he's just like i love that she doesn't what? back down i know yeah. uh so my other one was well attacking the wife is obviously a huge one oh yeah 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 but also I like guess we've but that about scene that was done really well because just even the way he holds the gun the whole way throughout, like he doesn't know what he's doing. He's trying to attack her, but he doesn't actually want to hurt her because they're fighting the whole way through. But like, he's not going to actually shoot her because it's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to do it. Mm. Totally. No, the, it's pathetic is the yeah. word for that. Yes. Yes. I love, a, I love pathetic. pathetic. Uh, he's kind of reminds pathetic. me of the, the main antagonist or protagonist, whatever of Fargo is the, so he's so pathetic. And I, I love, I love yeah. it. Good writing is so good. And my, my what the fuck was sorry about the cunt at reception. Yeah. This is, did you, did you oh, hear that? Amazing. Amazing. And he says it twice. Cause then like, once he's introduced to Maxine, it's like, oh yeah, sorry about the cunt at reception. It's amazing. 
I love it. Amazing. All right, that's it. Oh, no, no, no. I've got my actual one. Oh, yeah. What's your actual one? Um, The not safe for work puppet show on the side of the street in front of the child. <laughs> what a creep that guy is. <laughs> it was so dead. Like, what is that? Also, it was like, of course his puppet show is something so ridiculous like of course it's not like a fun he's not like a street performer going hey i'm gonna show you something fun and entertaining of course it's like two characters sitting at a desk writing letters to each other and then like it's just i love that when the dad turns around he just punches him straight away it's just like (laughs) yeah and then lottie goes again why do you do this to yourself and he goes i'm a puppeteer yeah So but yeah, that was amazing. Something that I read, which is great, which is that in the audience for the puppet show, I have to find, I just want to find this and confirm it. The benefit that he does. Yeah. The people in the audience include Hanson <laughs> and Winona Ryder. <laughs> oh, there was someone else. I remember someone. I can't remember. I remember just seeing the, the person's face. I can't remember who it was, though. I want to look. I'm watching it again. Oh, okay. I love Maxine sitting there pregnant with the headphones. She's such a good actress, Catherine Keener. Oh, she's great. I love her. Yeah, Hanson. Isn't that funny? (laughs) So random. But the truth is they're only really there because he's a celebrity. They're not there because they care about puppets. That's the funny. That's the joke of the entire thing. No one gives a shit about puppets. They're just so weirded out by John Malkovich suddenly became a puppeteer. (laughs) And even they're all looking like up because they just want to see John Malkovich. They're just... the then whole I, thing then when they like they sort then they show in the documentary and they show like the whole um like they're doing you know when they're doing like acting classes and he's wearing the black turtleneck and like berating the guy because he's not holding the puppet right and he's not you yourself the are not <laughs> you make the puppet cry but you yourself do not cry never fuck with your audience <laughs> I know it's so pretentious and uh, uh, it's so oh, perfect it's so good. All right. Um, Amazing. Hanson. I, what a freak they are. Like, that's just so crazy. Okay, cool. Let's wrap yeah. it up. Let's All do right. some final verdicts. Uh, does it pass the Sam's test for gender representation? Um, do you know it? Ish? Because there's not, like, I mean, when you really think about it, there's, what, five main characters if you include Lester? Yeah. Two men, two women. Maxine holds all the yeah, power. Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah. The, like it's yeah. it's not it's not that Maxine is there. Maxine is the one who has the power over everyone. Malkovich yeah. is initially enthralled by her. Um, what's his face is in love with her. Lottie becomes in love with the her. The lesbians win. Yeah. The fact that they win in the end is epic. Like yes. I honestly like for the nineties. Yeah. Dude, the fact that the people that win in the end are the two women who go, fuck you, Craig. (laughs) He's not with us. (laughs) Is really amazing. And it really definitely passes on that. Like that. Just to not kill 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 the gays yeah honestly like for a movie not to do the kill kill the gays thing and just to let them be happy at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It's really good. They always kill lesbians. 
Great. Does it pass? Here comes the science. There actually is a full on here comes the science moment. Like it's hilarious when he explains the vessel. It's a full on vessel body thing. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> and they've got a book and think... everything <laughs> with diagrams. You no, know, just arrow, body, <laughs> brain. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful in the yeah. sense of it does not explain a single bit of this. I guess it's magic. Yeah. I like it's... your explanation better, though. It's great as like, it's great in terms of conversation that it raises. So in terms of like, from a science perspective, if you want to approach it, it's definitely brings up great conversations to have, but like, there's no science in there. (laughs) No, no, it's beautifully vague. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely for me, a good example of how to just be utterly vague, but Bakuru does it too, you know, just Mm. like, like, this is a crazy movie. Don't, don't bother. Yeah. It presents itself as surreal and crazy and it follows through pretty well. <laughs> it doesn't try to like then get our attention to like be like, no, it's science. So I appreciate that. Okay, cool. Let's give it a, a rating. Uh, I'm I'm a 3.9, I think. I'm like a four because I love it, but I, you know, it's not really enough science to really yeah. give it a five, you know. Yeah. So uh, I give it a four. Okay, cool. So that was the episode. That was our bat shit one. And next week we'll do a uh, Cleanse My Soul science movie. Yeah, apparently. What's next? Uh, unless she didn't pick a science movie. But there is a movie that I have been wanting to do ever since we started this podcast. And it was always my intention to pick it for Halloween. And it just happens that this episode is going to be Halloween week. So I'm kind of coming out of our structure and I do apologize for it. But for me, it's time to do the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no, really? No, no. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, it's intense. But I, I started to think, in my head, I just went, should I should I find a session, you know what I mean? Oh, but Rocky Because they're Horror... always playing. Yeah, you got to... I'm just, just nervous. Yeah, go go and watch it. <laughs> go and watch it in the theatre. Like, go go to a go to a viewing, go to a sing-along viewing. I've done I the know, sing-alongs. I think I will do Rocky it. Horror sing-along is the best. <laughs> oh, my God, Rocky Horror. All right. Uh, I, but it's so it's one of the greatest movies of all time so it might not be great science but it's an excellent movie and it is classic Halloween oh Halloween really Rocky upset. Horror like what's the no no I'm not upset I'm just I'm just tired and the okay. idea of watching like a crazy movie right now I'm like I just need to get some sleep <laughs> okay okay but I'm glad it's not get out because yeah, yeah, like no, that, that movie yeah, we is so that. intense. Yeah, we couldn't do but that. But it's also really intense. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks for listening. We did Being John Malkovich this week. And then, um, was it Sharknado? We have, we oh, are so God. behind. Yeah. We don't I know think... what's going on. <laughs> Next be. week is Sharknado. It is, yes. Last week was Baby Geniuses. Baby Geniuses, which we haven't recorded yet. No. Because <laughs> we hate this miniseries with passion. No, it's so upsetting. But I love to hate it. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Send us an email at science at themovies at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us and tell us how much you love our friendship and like we're amazing <laughs> role models and stuff. Leave us a review of on Apple Podcasts. Also, we're on TikTok at Science at the Movies. Also, we're on Instagram at Science at the Movies. Okay, that's it. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
Bye.